Welcome to the Consciously Inspired Minds podcast, where we ditch the default and live life by design. I'm your host, Brandy White, personal growth enthusiast, entrepreneur, and lifestyle coach. I host conversations with creators, entrepreneurs, healers, and educators committed to living a life of truth, intention, and connection. Understanding how to evoke their higher nature, our guests take us on a journey of what it means to embody a life of conscious inspiration, joy, impact, and service. Get ready to be inspired. Welcome to Consciously Inspired Minds. I have such a powerful episode for you today. Naomi Walker is on, and Naomi is a well-known spiritual artist from the northeast of England. She lives in rural Northumberland, where she paints from her home, taking inspiration from the northeast coast and dramatic countryside for her landscape paintings. Her work focuses on the emotional energy of the world around us. Naomi, how are you? Hi, Brandy. Thank you for having me on. I'm great. Of course. It's so good to have you with us. So just for the listeners, Naomi and I have been attempting to connect for, gosh, probably the last four months or so. Just the happenings of life has inhibited us from really connecting. And this is the first time that Naomi and I have gotten together in person. And I'm so excited to have this chat with her. So I belong to Hay House's Oracle Card Deck subscription. And Naomi is the artist on one of the Hay House Oracle Card Decks called The Healing Spirits that was created by psychic Gordon Smith. And I hopped on a webinar that Hay House was putting on with Gordon and Naomi, and I was so incredibly pulled to have her on the podcast. Her artwork is incredible, and we're going to get more into that today, but it felt so resonant to me, and it's so incredibly spiritual and grounding and ethereal and magical, really. And I wanted to have Naomi on today to take us through what being an intuitive artist means to her. And for anyone who may be interested in learning more about this sort of artistry, how they can tap more into that for themselves and really explore this amazing world of creation. So Naomi, I know that You also focus on landscapes, seascapes, visionary and spiritual art. So a lot of your landscape and seascape is inspired from the world around you in Northumberland. And you also have visionary art that's really inspired by your journeys into dreamscapes and investigations into the natural energies of the existence and beyond. I'm really curious how you started to interpret these energies as you use color and semi-abstract form and meditation to really create and channel this intuitive communication for your art. There's so much I'm excited to unpack here with you today, but first I'd like to start out with Tell us a little bit about your childhood and how you saw yourself in the world. I think 
looking back that I'd always had one foot in this world and one foot somewhere quite different, to be honest, from a very young age. And I remember quite vividly having deep spiritual experiences sort of from the age of about four or five. And I know that it was around that age because I remember where we were living. And I used to do this thing where I'd like go, I used to call it upwards and backwards. So I'd sit and like literally feel like I was going upwards into the sky and that I could see sort of the universe and, and spirits and things like this. And I used to sit doing this for ages and ages. I was probably quite a strange child, come to think of it. But I literally at that age, I thought that everybody did that. So it didn't occur to me that it was anything unusual. I was an only child. So I had a lot of time on my hands, I guess, to do these kind of things. And being, I mean, I'd always been really interested in drawing and painting. I think because I was so enthralled by what I was seeing, then it was natural for me to to, to take those experiences and to try and create a visual sort of representation of what I was experiencing. So some of my drawings and paintings from a very young age, with all the, the colours and the, the, the sort of ethereal bodies um, and energies that I would see. And so it, it was very much a case of just reportage, really. I was just creating what I was seeing at that age. How were you getting to that place? And I love how you describe this upwards and backwards into the stars. What mm. were you feeling? How were you getting to that place in your mind or even in your body? Yeah, it, it's very much a case of, I still do it, actually. I, I, if you sit and sort of imagine seeing yourself from behind yourself and sort of so you're seeing yourself from the point of view of the universal energy. So you're looking at yourself. You're not looking out of yourself as an individual. You're looking into yourself from the collective energy of the universe. So really becoming so aware that your physical body is literally just the vessel that you're traveling in for this very small part of the journey. And you're actually part of a massive shared consciousness. So to physically do that, it's literally, I imagine, almost standing behind myself and looking into myself. It's like I heard it described, and I'm sure this is a similar thing. I heard it described in this way once. I can't remember who said it. It was imagining you're in the position of not just the driver of the car, but sort of the manufacturer of the car and the, the whole, are you the car, the driver, the person behind the driver, the manufacturer, the, the person who conceived that design. So almost like going back in layers to try to find the very core of like a personal identity, but more of a mass conscious identity. Interesting. So you had also mentioned that you would create drawings of your experiences and then share those with your parents. How did they respond to that? <laughs> I think they were sort of bemused, if you like, so that they weren't frightened or anything like that. They didn't question me too much about it. I think they just accepted it for what it was. But I mean, I did all sorts of things like that. And I was very connected with those things, but also very interested in those topics. So I think they just accepted it as, as that. Was there anyone in your lineage that had similar experiences 
that you were having that you were aware of? At the time, I wasn't aware of that. But now, further on, I am aware that there was a lot of that sort of thing on both sides of my family. Um, my grandmother on my mum's side was considered a psychic and had lots of experiences, but perhaps because of the age, she'd shut it down. You know, she really didn't want to talk about it and, and didn't want to tell people, but it was sort of a family secret, if you like, but it was known by the family that this was the case. Subsequently, my, not my mum, but her sisters, a couple of them have a very similar ability. And then Recently, I found out that my great-grandma on my dad's side was actually a Romani gypsy who also came and practiced a lot of different herbal lore and, and a lot of magical rites and things and even like fortune telling, but different types like scrying and, and tarot and all sorts of things. And that was something that I, I didn't know about. And I was like, it was it was really nice to hear that because... It is weird because I've always felt very different and always felt that there was just something I, want, I couldn't put the, the pieces together, you know, and to sort of become aware that there were people in my past who also did the things that I do and had interests like I do sort of made me feel more connected to my past and also thinking about I have a daughter who's also got a real interest and is developing really well in a spiritual sense. And I'm thinking, yeah, I can see this is going to continue down the lineage as well. So when you say that she's developing really well into this interest, what does that mean to you? Are you guiding her and, and supporting her through it? It's funny, actually, because she's 19 now. And when she was growing up, she really didn't like me doing this kind of thing. And I think it's because children don't want their parents to be like different and weird. They want them to be, you know, just toe the line and be normal. And then to the extent where I went to a parents evening once and we were sitting in the school hall, it was a group of us. And then Ruby, that's my daughter, phoned me from upstairs before the kids came down into the hall and said, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? You better be wearing something normal. And I told her I was wearing a witch's hat. And then, <laughs> so she was terrified and she came down that I'd be wearing a witch's hat. But she moved from not wanting me to be that stranger, shall we say, mother, to actually really becoming interested in my interests and what I do and my beliefs. And then they became her beliefs. And now she is like a super crystal collector and she has like more oracle decks than me. And, you know, she's she's even got all her goddess tattoos and that going on now. And, you know, she's really feeling the vibe. And um, she also, because a lot of my experiences came from astral journeying. And it also turns out that she has been experiencing astral travel for a long, long time. And put it down to just, you know, that's what she did, fly around the bedroom, go out the window and that sort of thing. And it's only now that we talk about it, it's more equals rather than mum talking to daughter that she's actually said, oh, no, actually, I've been doing that for a long time, you know, in all seriousness. So she's definitely developing. I think it's because now she's not so conscious of being I've got to be like my friends I we've all got to be the same I think now she's embracing her individuality and her own journey rather than you know just thinking that she has to conform there's no kids like to stand out and be different a lot of a lot of them have that sort of need to be like their peers absolutely 
Let's go back to this astral travel. I was reading your blog on your website. So we'll drop Naomi's website into the show notes. She has some beautiful blogs and one of them is titled My Angels, My Story. And she talks to us about her childhood and the astral travels and your journey through embracing this gift. I would call it absolutely a gift and how now you use the gift in a way that ties into, of course, your art and your creativity and your authenticity, and then being able to share those visions and those experiences with others through your art. So then we, as the observer of the art, can can feel and experience what it is that you are experiencing in these astral travels. Tell me more about the astral travels and some of the teachings that would come to you through these travels, how that made impact on you? Okay, so I think astral travel is, when I talk about that, I'm really talking about an OBE, so an out-body experience. Um, I've always done that since I was little. And again, I thought it was just something that everybody did, you know, come out of their body and, and fly around and wander around at night. And um, I sort of remembered doing that way, way back. But then in my 20s, sort of not losing the ability, but really turning my back on that particular thing. And sometimes I would become aware that I was out of body when I was asleep and be quite shocked by it. But I still didn't associate it with any particular sort of spiritual skill or anything like that. What happened was in my 20s, when it started happening quite spontaneously, so after, you know, I was going through it quite often and thinking, what's going on here, you know? Back in those days, I'm really showing my age now, you literally, there was no Google and phones. It was like, you know, a trip to the library. So I started researching what astral travel and out-of-body experiences were, and I was so sort of amazed to find out that it wasn't just me who was doing this and you know I, I don't know how to put it I did think that everybody did it when I was younger but in my 20s I started thinking like there was something really like strange about me and something not right so I started researching and realized that it's a shared experience by many cultures um has been since human beings existed and the very same feelings that were happening to me the physical feelings when you leave your body such as the high vibration and it's almost like holding on to an electric wire and and the way that the physicality of how it happens was this was also a shared experience and it's like wow a lot of people are having the same physical symptoms as they leave their body as me. So there is something going on here that's very shared. It's not, you know, a shared subjective belief. There's actually something going on. So with this all in mind, I mean, I became even more interested in it. And I actually I researched how to really physically do it purposely because this is different to the upwards and backwards thing, which is very much a mind-centered thing. An out-of-body experience is, is as real as it gets. So basically, I taught myself to consciously become out of body. And then I think because then once you're consciously doing it, you're very consciously lucid in that state. And so you can direct what you're doing and where you go much more easily. So I was able to ask spirit guides for 
experiences, if you like. So I, th- I always found that rather than saying, okay, well, I want to go and do this and do that. And, you know, this is my tick list of travel to just ask for an experience that was right for my higher self and higher purpose. And then would be shown things that were beneficial. Though some of them I didn't find beneficial at the time, I must say. But for example, I remember in the astral, sitting down at the base of an enormous tree with my back to the tree and just sitting and quietly and still and and then becoming aware that what I was being shown here was very much a message about the planet in the fact that the tree itself, all the little leaves all over it, it's like we we're all connected because we're like the little leaves all over the tree and each leaf has no awareness of the other leaves on the tree but they're all connected through the same body of the tree if you like so what i was being shown was the tree as the planet earth and the leaves as the organisms and the people and the animals all on different branches of this tree but all together and then down into the roots was well the earth is connected to other dimensions of this universe and then the roots are connected to other trees which are other universes and other planets and it was like that holistic i mean i guess if you could sum it up it's we are all one we are all connected and i'm getting goosebumps actually just talking about it now but it was such a frankly mind-blowing feeling of just wow yeah we are like that, you know, we all go about in our little lives thinking that we're, you know, we're on our own or, you know, it's about us and, you know, the people that are next door to us, the next leaf on the branch. Well, in actual fact, we're all part of the same living, breathing organism on this planet and beyond and in this dimension and beyond. That's incredible. How would you get yourself into more control of your astral experience? I think that there's so many techniques that people use and I sort of created my own little sequence to go through. And I think that having a sequence is part of why it's going to work because if you get yourself into a routine, I should say routine rather than sequence. So what I would do is I'd first of all, I always did this in bed, but never at night, always first thing in the morning because if I tried to do this at night, I would just fall asleep and then you know, you you sort of, you're asleep. So what the state that you're aiming for is body asleep, mind awake, which is really hard if your body's tired because you just go to sleep. So body and mind asleep. Doing it in the morning, and by that, I mean, not sort of when you've got to get up in the morning, sort of when you wake up at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, and you find it really easy just to drift back to sleep. It's at that moment that you're trying to catch and hold on to. So what I'd actually do, so I'd follow a routine. So upon waking up really early in the morning, and I wouldn't have to set an alarm to do that. I just did it. But I think that's because I naturally do wake up really early. I'm not a great sleeper as it is. So first of all, I'd do like a, a protection um, meditation almost. So I'd be focusing. I mean, I had a little visualization that I'd go through where I was walking through a forest and then I'd come to a tree and then I'd step inside the tree. Then the tree would fill with light and the light would be coming down from the branches and it would be filling my entire body and it would be filling my mind. And then I'd know that I was protected by this light. Once I'd done that, I'd do what I call square breathing. I think it's called something like that. But 
it's basically breathing in for four or five. I do four, hold in for four, out for four, hold for four, in, and then just to focus on the breathing. And I, I, that is such an important point. It really is the breath work. I think it's quite key to the whole process. And consciously, while you're doing that, focusing on the breathing and focusing your intention on what you want to do, which is basically to rise up or to step out of your physical body. So to actually maintain that intention, focus on your breathing. And eventually it's almost like, this is how it feels for me anyway, is if you sit on your arm or your leg and, and you get pins and needles in it, yeah, and you can't move it, that's almost like your physical body will feel. And like, if you lift your arm up, you feel your arm going up and then you can look and your arm's still on the bed. So it's like that sort of, feeling of you know you're raising your arms but you look and your arms are down on the bed there's something as well called astral vision where you find that you can see with your eyes shut before this happens so you might be able to see around the room but you actually know that your eyes are shut and then I start having like massive pins and needles all over the body like as I said it's like holding on to an electric fence or something that real strong vibration and the difficulty at this stage is not sort of thinking wow look it's happening because then you brought yourself too much towards consciousness if you see what i mean and you'll it'll stop happening so you've really got to and it, it can be quite tricky and the way to not just dive straight into wow look it's happening is to focus on your breathing that is why it's key is because once it starts to happen if you just focus on the four in, hold, four out, hold, four in, and just keep your awareness on that, then you'll find that it will happen more naturally. I mean, it's really easy to do that. Oh, look, I'm doing it. Oh, it's happening. And then you're straight back in your body because you've, your mind's woken up. So the breathing, focusing on the breathing is really key there. And then once you start to lift up, there's various different methods different people use. I mean, for me, I find it easier to roll out my body. So almost sort of just imagine rolling sideways and down off the side of the bed. Some people will visualize a rope and pull themselves up. Some people will visualize themselves rocking, like as if they're on a swing and sort of the momentum pulling them out of body. So that's an exit technique, really. So that would be how I would get out of body. And when you make it to this astral experience, give us an image of what you see around you. Is it similar in the way of same environment, maybe different props every time? Or are you somewhere else every experience with a different lesson to learn? I think there's two answers to that, really. So I think when you can come out of body and you can literally just wander around your house and it can be that mundane. So everything's pretty similar and you're just sort of wandering around as you would in waking life and that's quite fun because you can sort of float down your stairs and I always found I wanted to look in a mirror and what I found when looking in a mirror was that rather than seeing your your actual body you're looking at, at more of a shape made of tiny tiny little lights like tiny twinkling tiny white lights so I always used to go and find a mirror and also I'd look at my hands. For some reason, when I look at my hands, when I'm in the astral, the lights start to almost dissolve. I think that's almost like bringing your conscious mind into it because you're looking at your hands. So that's one way. 
there's intentional curiosity about what's happening in that moment. Yeah, I think that's what it is. But I mean, and in that state as well, you could sort of explore your neighborhood and things like that. That's fun. But I think the really powerful stuff comes with the intention of asking a spirit guide or the higher self or however you see that part, external internal to show you something or to to have a different experience to simply looking in a mirror and wandering around your own house which is great fun but if you want to have a different experience it's about setting that intention then actually almost having the belief that that can happen while you're in the astral because we still have very rational brains i guess and uh, we still have a sense of wow, is this really happening when you're out of body and you know you're out of body because you can turn around and look at your actual body asleep in the bed. But asking to do something like be shown a vision or to meet even a loved one who's passed over, you've, you've got to be able to, to ask for that, but also to believe that it can happen. And the root there could be as simple as setting the intention knowing that when you open that front door, you're going to step into the spirit world. Or when you decide to fly through that window, you're going to be, you know, in a different place, in a different land, in a different dimension. I mean, I always found it really difficult to go through walls. And that sounds really strange, but a lot of people will say, oh, when you're in the astral, you just go through the wall or, you know, you can just fly straight up through the ceiling. And I thought that always sounded great. And yet, strangely, when I tried to do it, I would bounce off walls <laughs> and I wouldn't be able to do it. So I always had to go through a door or go yeah. through a window rather than yeah. straight through a wall. And I don't know why that is. But I think it's about intention. And another thing I always found, I had to almost swim through the air but a lot of people will say that you can actually travel much faster than that, you know, just by simply setting an intention. I want to go from A to B and you're there. I, I mean, it all comes with practice. It all comes with practice. So when you're setting an intention, is it what is it that you want me to know? Universe, what is it that you want me to know for the highest good? But also, do you make an intention of where you want to be? in the world so whether that's what type of space or place you intend to be through that experience yes I think both I think you know you can decide right I want to go to xyz or I want to experience this and ask to go there or you could just ask generically for something that's right for you that's right for you at that moment in time and I think perhaps that that sometimes works better because when you ask specifically to go somewhere or to experience something, then you've already got preconceived expectations of what that will be. But you're also bringing your conscious mind into it again. And I think perhaps your subconscious, if we, if you want to call it that, is more aware of what you need than your conscious mind, because I think it gets in the way a lot. I don't think it functions as effectively. I mean, some other people will will say something completely different, I'm sure. But I always found it easier to just go with the flow, really, (laughs) to to experience something and then to explore rather than ask for something specific. I mean, I have asked for specific things and it tends to be harder. And I think it's down to your conscious mind. I mean, one example of this was when I was learning how to do this, my partner of the time was sort of didn't really believe it, but, you know, was intrigued nonetheless. And then, and I said to him, I tell you what, why don't you write something on this piece of paper, 
put it right up there on top of the wardrobe. And like, he was really tall and I'm not. And there was no way I could have got up there. And I said, what I'll do is I'll go out of body and I'll go up there and I'll see what's on that paper. So he was like, yeah, okay, right. So he did something on the paper and then put it on top of the wardrobe. And then, so out of body, I'm going up on, and this is, it was so difficult because my conscious mind was so engaged thinking I've got to find that piece of paper. You wanted it so badly. You wanted to prove. Really, it was really conflicting with, it was hard. So I got there and then I came back and he said, well, what is it then? What? And I went, oh, it was like having amnesia or having, you know, when your head goes blank. I went, does it say piglet? He said, no, it doesn't say piglet. But what he'd done, <laughs> he'd drawn a smiley face, so, but it was dot, dot, circle for the nose, smile. So that circle for the nose looked like a piglet. Do you see what I mean? Because he'd done a big circle for the nose, like dot, dot, big circle for the nose, little smile. To my subconscious, I, I mean, this is how I interpret it. I think it looked like a piglet, which is why I've come, did it say piglet? So I think there's like, there's a, there's a disparity between how your conscious and your subconscious mind works and how they work together in the astral. You know, I don't think they work particularly well together but I don't think your conscious mind certainly doesn't because you're so I think the conscious mind is so analytical and you're so processing and you're so you know you have expectations and you interpret things in a very set way whereas your subconscious is much more accepting of oh there was a dragon but it disappeared you know you're not saying why why would that happen and, and how could that be so I think that's quite a good example of of difficulty of consciously trying to do something in the astral. So yeah. it worked in a way, but <laughs> not perfectly. It sounds like you just really have to surrender fully to the experience, which is going back to your point with the breathing allows the body to continue to surrender to the experience, staying out of the conscious mind in order to prove something or to be sort of chasing after something that you want to experience in that moment, you just sort of allow and be, allow and be. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, beautiful. Going back to what you had said earlier, connecting with those that have passed, you mentioned your connection with your father who had passed. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what that experience was like for you and what sort of messages came through. Yeah, it was, it was really difficult actually, because it was a really traumatic passing. He drowned when I was 12 and I was involved in the accident. So it was really um, quite a traumatizing event for me. But strangely, it's what, in a way, it, it strengthened the path that I was on because, you know, I was really, really at that stage, really intent in connecting with him and finding my way to communicate with him. So it really strengthened my path. But Obviously, it was a, it was a really terrible experience as well. So basically, it's always been really quite difficult for me to to deal with connecting with him because I think there's a lot of sort of I don't know a lot of really high intensity emotions involved in it. So when I have connected with my father, it's normally at times when I've asked specifically for that connection, which is bringing your conscious mind into it because that might not. I mean, this is how I see it. That might not be 
good for my higher self and development to actually have connected with my father at that time. But I have nonetheless asked, and there has been connection at, at times when I've needed it. And normally the connections would be, well, sadly, I'd love to have said, oh, I've sat down with him in the, in the astral in a room and we've spoken face to face, but it's just never happened like that. It'd be more of, he would show me sort of where he drowned is Oldswater in the Lake District. And strangely, his favourite poem was a poem by William Wordsworth, which is called A Host of Golden Daffodils. Or that's the that's one of the lines in it is about this host of golden daffodils. And he used to love that poem. And it was about Oldswater, which is where he died. So it, it's always been quite symbolic to me, the daffodil of where he died and, and that, that part of my life. So when connecting with him in the astral, it would always be sort of a field of golden daffodils and that sort of feeling of of love and connection, but not the direct, you know, the sit down, I want to ask you this and what's going on and, and all that, which would be nice. So were you saying it was more of his presence in your environment? Yeah, I, yeah. You felt his presence. I think so, more the, the signs and being shown like a, like a spiritual hug rather mm. than, you know, the, the conversation on the phone. So, And a, I have to say, a spiritual hug is one of the cards in the, the Healing Spirits deck. Yeah. I love getting that card. <laughs> I love when I pull a spiritual hug so much. Mm-hmm. It always comes at exactly the right time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I remember specifically painting that one as well. It was it's a really lovely card. It really is. I mean, when I was working on the cards, there were so many lovely images to work with, like, you know, sort of channeled images and, and, and that sort of thing that it was really something that was a really, really lovely experience. I mean, I was painting every day for over a year. And so I was so connected to the words and, and the feelings and resonating with the whole deck and the journey of the deck. So it was lovely. Why do you think you've been given this gift? Or do you see it that way? Why Why do you think you've been given? From my perspective, it's like, wow, you've received this beautiful gift in order to dot, 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 fill in the blank. What do you, that's, that's how I feel. That's what I'm most curious about is how you embrace and use this gift and what you think it's meant for. Because it's really magical and incredible. I, I don't see it as a gift as such. I think everybody has the ability. And I think I was a, a bit of a lonely, only child and I was really interested in it. So I started developing it, but not intentionally. I was just, you know, I was spending time in that space. So if I'd been really interested in, you know, playing tennis, then I might have developed skills in tennis. But I think we all start life with the same amount of ability. I think it's where you put your intention and your interest. So I don't see it particularly as a gift. I would see it more as as a skill that I've developed along the way, just because I've put a lot of focus and energy into those areas, because it's something that's always fascinated me. So, you know, I've, I've, I've been in that space an awful lot from a really young age, and I think everybody can do that. I really do. I don't think, you know, there's one person born with with more ability to do something than another. But I do think a lot of people have no confidence that they could do these things. Some people are frightened. Some people think, wow, what if I can do it? 
what does that mean on a grander scale and, and the implications for, you know, addressing their current belief systems or how will other people view it? Or, you know, it can be quite a scary thing, especially if you come to it in adulthood, I think, because as a child, I mean, when I was doing the upwards and backwards thing at five years old, I just thought all well, my friends did it. But if I'd started doing that later on in life, then I probably would have thought I had a mental condition and it would have been scary. So I think that's that's the key is acceptance and experimentation and embracing the journey. Where do you think this belief of the upwards backwards idea came to you at that age? What were you introduced to that may have sparked that curiosity of this experience? I think it just happened spontaneously. I th- I th- yeah. I can't remember not being able to do it. I do yeah. remember I used to sit on the bottom of the stairs doing it, but I can't remember a time when I thought, oh, I'm going to try doing this. I just remember doing it. So I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't remember where it came from as such. Beautiful. So I want to talk about the Healing Spirits Oracle Card deck mm-hmm. that was made in creation of these astral experiences. And if you could talk us through your collaboration with Gordon, who is a renowned psychic, well-known in the UK, even worldwide, and how your collaboration started with Gordon, what that journey was like for you. Hay House approached me. I think they, they'd been working with Gordon for a while, and I think he'd written, so he channeled and written the cards, and then they were finding an artist to represent the words and to collaborate with him. But it had to be a really quite a unique pairing as such. It had to be right. And it was Gordon who very much was in charge of finding the right artist. I think Hay House found a few artists who they thought perhaps had the potential to work with him. And then he looked at their work and we had a meeting. It was on a, on Teams, actually. We had like an online meeting and talked through the project. Now, Gordon will also say that he went to, at that time, he went, I can't remember what it was called. It's in London. It's like the Society of Psychic Research or something like that. I think he was teaching a course there or something like that. He mentions it in the Hay House podcast that I was on, but he went to this place I think around the time that he was involved in choosing the artist to work with. And he, he says that he saw paintings on the wall and he thought, oh, I'd love that. That's that's the sort of thing that I want. And then he saw my work when he got back to his house and thought, oh, that's that reminds me of that. that that's the one. So there was almost like a, a synchronicity that was involved in the pairing, if you like. And then we we had conversations about it and we clicked. It was really cool because... As I was talking to Gordon, we were talking about the cards and the different sets and the colours. I could actually, I started getting like images in my head, even from talking to him of exactly how the cards would look. It was really happening quickly. So you could tell there was that energetic connection. And then I received, I was sent by Hay House, Gordon's writing. And that was what I used to, to actually connect with it, like in my studio. So I'd read the words, think about the words 
put the candles on, get the incense going, you know, really, really focus on the words and literally just pick up paint and start painting. And none of the card illustrations are sketched first. None of them have any pencil sketch or layout or anything. They're just straight paint onto the bare canvas because it was it was really important to me not to get my conscious mind involved in it. I know I was saying that again, but it was really important to to keep that singular connection with the channel that was flowing through Gordon because a lot of my own work I do from channeling, but actually channeling with somebody else's words and intent as well was was sort of a different thing. So it was really important for me to almost put my brush in Gordon's hand almost through his words so that it was a direct connection if that makes sense between the words Gordon myself the canvas and the external spirits that had provided this information in the first place so it was a wonderful feeling as I said I, I worked on it for a year and the house and the studio particularly was just buzzing with energy constantly it was it was really really lovely energy from working with all those different spirits and and it, I had to ground quite a lot as well because it was you know being open and channeling for hours and hours every day leaves you feeling a little bit disconnected you know it was difficult to stop and come and cook tea <laughs> and things like that so I had to do quite a lot of grounding work it almost sounds like this sort of natural high that you were on. Yeah. This frequency that you were experiencing that isn't a daily frequency. It's almost like this seven levels of energy at the seventh level as you're creating. And we can't all live at that seventh level every day, all day, right? It's exhausting. <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah. It, it's, that's, that's a really good description, Brandy, because it was. It was it was difficult to maintain that and also to maintain a life outside of that in a way, you know, because the more mundane matters, the housework and things like that were, you know, they, they didn't seem, I mean, they don't often seem that important to me, I have to say, but they became completely irrelevant at times. You know, it was so easy just to keep in the studio and keep in that space and I mean it, it was such a lovely project and the Hay House were Hay House were really really good as well they gave me so much freedom with you know how I was working and the images and you know it all was really cohesive and um, myself Gordon the art team at Hay House it was just a really well-rounded experience and that sounds a bit strange but there was nothing that didn't work the process was very smooth and everything went to plan because it sounds like everything was in deep alignment and exactly as it should be because when everything is exactly as it should be there is no efforting there is no hard about it and it sounds like a really beautiful spiritual experience and I can relate in the way of when I am deep in meditation or when I'm doing certain practices or rituals and I'm feeling deeply inspired and at my best, at my absolute highest self that I can be in this physical plane, and then I have to come back into my humanness, <laughs> I think sometimes it can be like, oh, it's over or I have to, okay, switching gears. And being able to find kind of that balance and that harmony of the two, because, yeah, I mean, all of us go through these really magical and maybe even sometimes traumatic experiences just to come back to the mundane. Like, what does this even really mean? 
but we're here and we've been given this gift to be here for a reason in this physical. So there's lessons to be learned. Yeah, I think that's exactly it, Brandon. I think there are lessons to be learned from being in the physical. And I think we have to remember that at some point we've asked to be here as well. I believe that we have a soul contract and we're here for a reason and we meet people for a reason and things happen to us for a reason. I think in essence, I think we have lessons to learn and that's sort of part part of our purpose in some respects. And there's also, I think there's a lot of enjoyment to be had of being in the physical. There's things we can do, there's places, you know, we can touch water, we can paddle in the sea, we can swim, you know, in the moonlight. There's so many things that we can do in a physical body. So I think it's great to be out there and having these wonderful spiritual experiences. But I think we also have to appreciate the physical too. Absolutely. It can also be so blissful. You're right. When you were creating this deck with Gordon in collaboration and making sure that what you were presenting to him was what he wanted to come through, what were some of the feelings that you were having at the time of presenting what you were creating through his intention? What was that feeling? Was it fear? Was it excitement? The first couple of times, I have to say, I was quite scared. So I thought, what am I, what am I going to do if he just goes, that's absolutely not what I meant. <laughs> you know, that's, that's no, that's completely wrong. You're going to have to change this. You're going to have to do this. But it never happened. It was literally the first few times I thought, oh, what's going to happen? He's going to come back and say it's not right. Or, But he was just, he was lovely. And I think we'd really connected. And there was not one of those cards that he wanted any changes to. There was nothing. There was never any edits. There was never anything to be redone. There were never any changes, not even a slightest tiny bit. Every single one of those cards was accepted immediately. And I totally put that down to the fact that we just got each other and I really felt his words. And I, I think the spiritual power around his words, because it was meant to be, because it was so easy, as you say, it was effortless. It just seemed so right, you know? His deck, it's just the, the messaging that comes through. We'll be sure to, of course, put a link to the Oracle card deck, the Healing Spirits. This deck is really about discovering the path to inner healing and deep spiritual connection with this unique oracle card deck and it was really intended as I learned more about the deck and more about Gordon himself is to heal and find your true purpose and it's really a great tool that will help inspire the healing and what brings you joy the inspirational messages in the card will really help you grow on your spiritual path and just bring holistic wellness spiritually, physically, when you're getting these readings and receiving the messages. It's it's a really special experience as you begin building relationship with the cards, which is also really important. Some of the rituals I have when I'm pulling cards from any Oracle deck is, to your point, Naomi, lighting the candle, maybe a light meditation, getting grounded. And I don't ask specifically what I want to know. It's usually generally, what would you like me to know, universe? What would you like me to know for my highest good, for the highest good? And really just tapping into that intuition. But there are 48 cards in this deck. 
So Naomi, how long did it take to complete each of the cards? Were some faster than others? Yes, they were. And um, in total, it was a year's work and it was every day. Some, yeah, some were faster than others, but there were there were none that were a real problem. I mean, in normal work, you'll sometimes find that, say, if I'm landscape painting, sometimes it'll really work and it's great and everything looks good. And sometimes you really struggle with the painting and you keep going back to it and then you keep looking at it and then you keep changing it. And, you, you know, you just can't get it right. And eventually you think, well, oh, that'll do. But it was like it was a really high octane channeling. They They really just flowed. Some did take longer. But it was more because they had a more complex message. There was more layers, if that makes sense. It wasn't because there were things going wrong. It was, it was lovely. I had such amazing time doing it. I had lovely music on in the studio and it was so relaxed. And it was just such a lovely experience to be doing something. I'd wanted, I mean, I'd really wanted to do something like that my entire life. And it was one of my ambitions, but it's actually to illustrate a tarot deck. So, I mean oracles pretty similar so it was like you know fulfilling one of those sort of dreams that you have so a lot of the time it was summer as well so I had the studio window open the breeze blowing through and you know it was a really special time yeah and I love what you say about how the angels in your paintings even when you were focusing on landscape how they were really coming through to you. And it wasn't even intentional at that time when you were really focused on landscape artwork that the angels were there. But as you sort of stepped back and were looking at what you had created, then you saw the angels come through. Then that pulled you into creating this artwork, this beautiful artwork in these spiritual angels. Yeah, I mean, I think, as I, I think I mentioned before, that in my 20s, I sort of drifted away and and didn't really want to be involved in the spiritual side of life as much, I think. And then that was around my 30s when I started painting again professionally, but I was doing more landscapes and things like that and selling in a few galleries. And because when you paint, I suppose when you do anything creative or focusing, you almost switch off and go on to autopilot, which is very similar to letting go of your conscious mind and letting it happen because you're in the zone, so to speak, which is that state of flux where you're not consciously deciding what to do. You're just doing it. And so I'd be painting and have that feeling of, oh, what have I just done? You know, like when you travel somewhere and you get there and you can't remember how you got there. So I'd stand back from the canvas and go, wow, there's a face in the sky wow, there's an angel in the hill. And it was like, why have I painted that? Why did I not, in I didn't intend to paint that. So what's made me paint that? So then I started thinking, wow, there's something going on here. And so then I'm starting to revisit, well, I used to do something similar to this and, and this is connected to this. And why don't I try to consciously do this? And so that's how wow. I started really focusing on the spiritual art. And the strange thing is now I very rarely do landscapes. So that's, that right? it would be lovely to do them again, but it's much more fun to work with spirit to, to create paintings. Yes. So the new project that you're working on now will shortly be introduced to the world is the 12 Moon Blessings. Tell us about that. Okay, so the 12 Moons is each full moon has a name. You've got things like the cold moon in December and snow moon, February and harvest moon and all those different moons. So I set out to illustrate 
each moon and then make them into a greeting card. So I've designed a set of 12 greetings cards. I say, I say greetings card because that's UK, whereas I think you say greeting card. So I was trying to say greeting card there, but it's coming out greetings card. Yes. <laughs> so I designed a set of 12 cards, one for each moon. And I've actually titled them full moon blessings because I think it's a lovely thing to do because I do believe in the energy of the moon. I really do. And sometimes I love to just go outside and stand in the full moon and really soak up the energy. And I thought it's such a special time of the month. And wouldn't it be nice to to share that blessing with somebody? But what I've done with the cards as well is I'd like them to be reusable because sustainability is really important to me and looking after the planet but also because I look at my cards that I've got for birthdays and that and think wow I don't want to just chuck them in the bin and it's such a waste and and that's not really good sustainable practice so I've designed the full moon blessings cards to have a reusability factor so they've actually got like a wallet and they can have a wallet inside them which has got sort of Inside them, there is a moon that you write in, okay? And then in the wallet, you've got 11 more stickers of the moon. So the idea is that you receive the full moon blessings, but then you pass on the full moon blessings. So you're creating a network, a circle of blessings. So it goes from one person to the next using the stickers. But there's also an element that you're creating a network, you're creating a circle of people, a blessing circle. So as well as the design, there's like a concept involved there as well. That's amazing. And where can people get these greeting cards? They can, when they're published, they will be on my website. And when will they be published? I'm not 100% sure because I'm publishing myself and, and I'm literally at the moment having so many problems finding the right printer. Okay. And I've yeah. gone through several different printing companies and this sort of this works here and it doesn't work here. And can we do this or can we not do this? And currently my house has got boxes and boxes of cards in various states of no, not happy with that. Let's change that with that. So there's different cards everywhere at the minute, but I think I'm settled with one printing company. So it will be very soon. I would say definitely within the month, I, I reckon. Within the month. That's so, so before exciting. the I'm, I'm putting a, a deadline on myself here. <laughs> before Halloween. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. And if you want to know when those are available, can folks sign up on your website to be notified? Yeah. Amazing. If you subscribe on the website, then you'll be kept up to date with um, the publication date, availability dates, and you'll also get 10% off. 10% forever, may I add. 10% forever. <laughs> <laughs> and what is that website, Naomi? Oh, it's www.skyspirit.com. Skyspirit.com. And we'll certainly put a link to that in the show notes. And I'd also like to talk about this idea that you have and what you're drafting and working on is a book that you're titling Extra Sensory Painting. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it's very much in the ideation stage. So there's a lot of thinking gone into it and a lot of sort of rough sketching of how I'd like it to be, but not much finished work, if you see what I mean. What I really like to do is to give people a framework to use if they would like to try channeling and painting like for themselves. So a lot of people, you know, would be, oh, I'd love to try that. Where do I start? And I'd like to give people almost a step-by-step, -step, like this is how to do it. 
So it's like a how-to, how to do channeling paintings. So that's the idea. So very much working with spirit and working with colour or not working with colours. I think people can find painting quite intimidating. And I'd like to pass on the fact that you can pick up a lump of chalk or a piece of slate out the garden or anything that makes a mark and just use it to express those feelings that you find within yourself and from external spirit. So that's the idea in a nutshell. What would be those beginner first steps of being able to channel your artwork? I think stillness, Mm. stillness and awareness. So the first, and this is the most important thing, I think in many, many different disciplines, is finding the stillness within yourself because people's minds are so busy, so filled with chatter that I think it's almost like trying to, like an old style radio, there's just so much static and so many different frequencies going on. And you're thinking of a conversation you had earlier, you're thinking about what to feed the dog, you're thinking about picking the kids up, thinking about this, you're watching TV at the same time, you know, you're on social media, but there's just, it's too much, you know, there's there's no room in there for anything else. Because if you're channeling a subtle energy and your brain's filled with all these quite heavy, heavy energies, then it's going to make it difficult to be able to perceive that or to get a, a clear message. So I think the most, most, most important thing to do is to achieve some form of stillness in your mind. And that sounds easy, but can be incredibly difficult. And I think the easiest way to do it, or the way that most people do it, is meditation, isn't it? And that can feel difficult to start with, but it's that regular practice. And even if you achieve like three seconds of relative stillness, then perhaps the following day you might have five seconds and then it will build from there. But meditation doesn't have to be in silence and you don't have to be sitting still to meditate either. Some people will find that their mind becomes still and they will become in a meditative state when they're swimming perhaps or even running, jogging or, you know, walking the dog or involved in some other creative activity that focuses the conscious mind and just allows the subconscious to become still. So if your conscious mind is, let's say again, like when I was saying focusing on your breathing, so it's got that little dog with a bone, so it's got the bone to keep it occupied, your subconscious can be doing something entirely different and it's that stillness that separation of the subconscious from the busy conscious mind so that i think the conscious mind is like a toddler so it will be into everything it'll be tearing things apart falling over on the floor having a tantrum you know i want fed i want this i want that so you sit the toddler down and you give them something to do color this book in or build this And then they go quiet because they're focused a little bit. And while the toddler mind is doing something, your grown-up mind, we've used that analogy or something else, but that can be doing something different. So then you can really start to hear things better. You'll be able to perceive any channeling and, and energy that you're looking for. You'll feel that more. Whereas trying to do it with that busy mind, with that so much background noise going on, it's going to be far more difficult. So I I think that's a major first step. And if you can achieve that, then I literally think you're halfway there. I really do. You make such an important point in that, Naomi, finding stillness and just kind of finding that moment of ease and quiet, because that is really the impetus of any true great connection with self and the ability to kind of unblock 
and clear out any distraction that will allow us to really hear and listen to our deepest desires, what's on our hearts, what we really need to be aware of in that moment, or any sort of support, guidance, creativity. We all are creative. Every single human is creative. So many folks say that they're not. I'm like, but you are. You are so creative in so many ways. It doesn't even have to be in an artistic way. I create every single day and it's almost like this boundless, infinite expression of myself that is able to be realized in ways that I couldn't have even imagined had I not just sat and understood what is it that I want to create? What am I here to do? What is it that I want to do? What brings me joy? What brings me inspiration? How do I start tapping into this creativity and coming back to remembering? Because again, we are all creative, but coming back into that remembrance of how creative we really are. I've had this urge to start painting as well or doing some sort of artistic drawing, painting. Painting's been heavy on my mind. I'm like, maybe I want to go to a painting class like where they teach you how to draw. You're just drawing some sort of everybody's drawing the same object because that feels a little safer to me. That gives me a little bit more certainty in this way of being playful and creative that I haven't done since I was a kid. But would you say that might be a great avenue to start exploring your creativity or this way of being expressive through channeling and whatever it is that is calling to your soul in that moment? Is one better than the other or which would you recommend if someone's trying to tap back into that artistic creativity if they have a desire? Yeah, I would I would say both. Both are fantastic things to do. I would say like the drawing class, yeah, it might inspire you. It might be something you've always wanted to do. And it's a great social opportunity as well. And it's greasing the cogs of movement, isn't it? It's like getting that connection between the mind and the hand. And the only problem with it is that it can really take quite a lot of confidence to do that. And also, if you don't get the results that you want, because you've got a set intention, if someone says, right, you've got to draw this model will say if it's life drawing you've got to draw this model and you're drawing and then you're looking at the person next to you and you think oh theirs looks so much better than mine oh mine looks dreadful and oh I've got this all wrong (laughs) you know we all compare what we're doing to what we would hope it would be and also to how other people are approaching the same task so I say that's one thing to be aware of in that situation as opposed to if you were to for example just buy a great big canvas and loads and loads of coloured paints and then sit in a room at home, cover the floor with plastic and just go wild with the paints without any expectation whatsoever about what you're going to create and just really go into that inner child, you know, paint with your hands or whatever else that you want without any expectation, without trying to create anything. I don't know, perhaps somewhere somewhere between the two or maybe both. Both are fantastically expressive both could be fantastically enjoyable. For me, I think the second option. Yeah, yeah. Personally. That felt way more freeing (laughs) as you were taking me through it. It just felt my body kind of in more ease as you were taking me through that experience. And I've got two daughters, so 
how freeing and liberating that would be just to get messy with it even and just have fun, just not be overly concerned with the result as we always are. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That, that is, that's, I think that's really quite important because I think when you start to create something, if you've got a preconceived idea of how you want it to be, you're either going to stilt your creativity because you're trying to like force a square peg into a round hole or you're going to end up frustrated because what you end up with isn't what you thought you'd have. And I think having an open-ended journey gives you that freedom, but it also, you know, you, you never know what you have the power in you to create. Because if you think, right, I'm going to draw this apple. Yeah, you can draw an apple, but what happened if you drew something like the apple tree? You know, I think you don't want to put limits on yourself. And then, you know, Brandy, you said you have daughters and I, I just had this vision in my head as well of imagine if you went like art doesn't have to be indoors and doesn't have to be with paint, like going out and creating sculptures with stones and, you know, making natural things into shapes and leaving, you know, in a park, making a great big pattern with stones and then just leaving it for the next people to find and for them to enjoy and to sort of, you know, Perhaps they'll add some more to it and this will evolve. So I think there's so much scope for, for different forms of creativity. That's a beautiful idea. This podcast, as you know, is really around how are we living a consciously inspired life and aware of how we are living into our authenticity and bringing joy and service and impact into the world. What does living a consciously inspired life mean to you, Naomi? I think really it would be about making conscious decisions about where to focus energy and what to do really, because life gets very busy. And I think it's easy to get trapped into the sort of, right, I've got bills to pay and I've got this to do and I must do this and working to provide for yourself and for your loved ones. Is that, I mean, obviously you've got to do it, but being consciously inspired and living a consciously inspired life means looking at what you're doing, really looking at what you're doing and what brings you joy. Okay, you've got to do some things for money, but what about if you could do some things that bring you joy, but also they could bring you money and really focusing on, okay, right, I'm inspired to do this. How can I take it further? Perhaps I can do this for work or perhaps I can teach this to other people and they'll enjoy doing it. I can just spread joy. I mean, what makes me really sad is I've got friends who are like, I really hate my job. I really can't stand it. And then I think, oh, and you do that five days a week, like every single day. And, you know, where do you, can you see yourself doing that for the rest of your life? And I just think people should be able to make a consciously inspired decision to give themselves permission to enjoy life and to, to focus their energies on things that they enjoy. Why do you think there's so many people that aren't living a consciously inspired life? I think we live in a world that we're told from a young age, you must do this and this is how you must be. And, you know, you'll do well at school, you'll leave school, you'll go to university, you'll leave university, you'll start a job, you'll get promotions, you'll meet somebody, you'll start a family, you know, this will happen, that will happen. So we're constantly living in a state of having to go up the next rung of the ladder. We have these certain goals to achieve. And I think there's too much pressure on people to achieve and to conform. And I think we live in a system that's very much focused on being productive for the greater good or the greater powers, but those are 
Very much. I mean, I'm a great reliever and we're all sort of almost forced into a role of being like worker bees for the system. And, you know, we are producing and producing and it's that detriment sometimes to our own happiness and our joy and the happiness and joy of those around us because we feel that we have to pay this mortgage and we have to do this and we have to do that because it's a belief that's instilled into us from childhood. I'd love to be able to see people step out of that more. I'd like to step out of it more because it's one thing sort of believing that, that that's the case, but actually practically being able to step back from these things is not quite as simple because the system is set up to keep you within that system. That's right. How would you express to folks who are in this place of, I know I want to start doing things a bit more unconventionally but I'm afraid. I don't know how. I don't know what to do. I feel stuck. What would you say to that person? I think it depends. If they say they were afraid, it would be what, why? My answer would depend on what they were afraid of. Were they afraid of what other people would think or were they afraid of taking themselves out of work so they weren't earning enough money to pay their mortgage? Or it depends on what they were afraid of, really, I think, because it could be a variety of answers to that. Yeah, absolutely. What would be the things that you might recommend in embracing fears of all of the things just mentioned? I know that that's a broad question, but in the way of some of the most common things of fear of not being able to be financially successful or fear of what people might think if I start to do things the unconventional way. Yeah, I think having goals, having dreams and knowing what those dreams are is really important because I think some people find themselves so busy with the nine to five and working and bills and, you know, the details of everyday life that they don't give themselves the opportunity to remember what their dreams and goals were when they were kids or what they might have developed. Because, you know, it's sort of wake up, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, wash and eat, rinse and repeat. So they're not giving themselves the space to think about and to remember those goals and also the permission to do so. Because sometimes we think that we're sort of, you know, we've got a head in the clouds if we're thinking, wow, I wanted to own a hot air balloon and I wanted to do this. And and then you become an adult and you're sort of, you know, you're really focused on work and, oh, that's a silly idea. So I think we need to give ourselves permission to think about dreams and to make plans to do those kind of things. And to really sort of question, what is it that I want out of life? What actually makes me happy? And then on the other side of it, we're talking about if you're frightened about the financial security you might lose from from focusing on those dreams. I think perhaps sometimes we need to look at what do we actually need to live? What do we actually need? What's the baseline? What do we have to do? to pay those bills and then what proportion of our time does that leave for us to do things that are just purely joy-based, you know, that are literally just for the joy in your soul. So I think the first thing that encompasses both of, of those answers really is actually stepping back, isn't it? It's stepping back from the detail of what's going on and the busyness. And again, looking at things almost objectively sort of thinking, what are my dreams and what do I need to do? Okay, right. Well, what do I want to do? That's so resonant for me. Your point around stepping back and questioning and getting curious about what is it 
that brings me joy? What is it that I dreamt about as a child or even as an adult? And what matters to me? What's most important to me? And what am I prioritizing in my life? And what are my values? And what do I believe about myself? Because it's all about those beliefs first. I have to say that as I continue to take more risk and explore more about what inspires me in life, I find myself gravitating toward people who are living life the unconventional way because I'm so interested in how they're doing it, why they're doing it, how they overcome the pressure to conform, as you say, because I think this is where the sweet bliss of life lives is in these details of, okay, I think we all yearn to be fully expressive and to be creative and to show up fully ourselves, but the debilitating fear and restriction and chaos of it all really just clouds our intentions. And so how do we, like you say, step back and start to clear out the chaos and start asking ourselves the right questions and really leaning into our true beliefs about who we really are and what we're capable of. And then in turn, that creates evidence for ourselves around what it is when we put intentions on something that is in our deepest desire, how that can manifest in our lives in really incredible, beautiful ways and connect us to people, places, and things that transform us forever, which is why we're sitting here together today, Naomi, (laughs) because the old iterations of myself would not have ever imagined I would be on a podcast with a renowned spiritual intuitive artist having an amazing conversation about living an intentional life of design. So what a gift today to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm here. I mean, I, I think as well, Brandy, it's, it's like perhaps what could also be important is actually putting that time aside to really focus on those dreams or things that you want to do, because as well as being so busy in our minds, we've also got really busy lives these days. You know, there's so much going on that you know, you're getting from work sometimes and then you've done this and you've done that and you've done some housework and then you're really tired, you know. And I think putting aside some time to have to yourself to focus on you and what you want and what makes you happy, I think that's important as well because we can all, you know, think about things that we'd like to do and then you sort of, okay, well, when I finish this project or when the kids go back to school, you know, after the holidays or or perhaps when this happens or next summer, then I might do that. And I think even immediately starting to go, okay, well, I'm going to give myself an hour on a Friday afternoon and that's for me and I'm going to work towards something I want to do or I'm going to take up this class or I'm going to... I don't know, learn French or just something. I think that's, I think actually taking the time because time is such a precious commodity and it it really is difficult to manage time when you have a busy life. And, you know, it's, it's easy to just neglect your own self-care, emotional care, because you're so busy. That's a beautiful point, Naomi. And I think to add to that, it's about what type of boundaries we're putting in our lives that allow us that space. 
because we want to say yes to so many things. We want to say yes to so many people. We want to be everything to everybody. So this is also why this podcast was created because the intention of giving some tips or how-tos to folks who have a yearning and a deep knowing that it can be better, that they can experience life with more ease, happiness, bliss, intention, equipping folks with the tools and the evidence from other people coming onto this show to prove it can be done and to inspire and to encourage and to support and pouring into other people the gifts that we, you and I, and other folks that have been on this podcast have received from other people and just paying that forward, continuing to pay that forward, where it gives us almost the courage to say yes to ourselves and having conviction about it and deep belief that we can do it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's so important. I love that point. It's so important. Saying yes to yourself, because we so often will say yes to everybody else and then no to ourselves. You know, it's so much easier to do that sometimes. And we shouldn't. We should say yes to ourselves sometimes, you know, to that child within you that wants to sit and colour in for an hour in the evening or just, you know, wants to do something just for the pure joy of it. Because sometimes we'll say no because there doesn't seem to be an outcome or a worthiness of that activity that we can count or perceive or see. But in actual fact, the value of that activity is just for doing it. It's just the enjoyment. So, yeah, I love that. We should say yes to ourselves more. Yeah. And no to other people more in some cases. (laughs) I believe that some folks think that saying yes to themselves is an impediment to how they're moving through other parts of their lives and how saying yes to themselves may be saying no to someone else. But what if it could be saying yes to yourself is also saying yes to all the other people in your life? Because saying yes to yourself brings benefit to everyone else in your life. It's a win-win. When you start saying yes to yourself in ways that feel aligned to you, it, it can't be anything but a win-win. Because when it's touching your soul, when it's serving your higher purpose, when you're feeling pulled to do something, it's there for a reason. So we need to listen to that. And it will only bring benefit and more love and light to your life and to those around you. So I would just say, let's flip that narrative on its head and say, if I say yes to myself, I'm saying no to something. No, it doesn't have to be that way. When you're saying yes to yourself, you're also saying yes to everything and everybody else in your life. So beautiful. All right, a closing question, Naomi. What do you want your impact to be in the world? Wow, oh, that's a tricky one to finish on. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, no, that's thrown me. And I, I did think about that before, but I don't have a preconceived idea of what I want my impact on the world to be. And that's that's the actual truth. I, I really don't have a preconceived idea. I would like to imagine that I've shown people some things that are possible or I'd like to imagine that perhaps some people have looked at what I've done or listened to what I've said and it's given them a little bit of comfort in that 
they know that they are more than their physical body. And for me, that's really important. And I've always thought, you know, it's all right me just painting and then telling people this is my experience and this is what I've done. But other people go, yeah, that sounds great. And I believe that and I believe that. But really actually doing something is so much more of a convincer than listening to somebody else. So yeah, what I'd like my impact to be is that somebody who has listened to me or looked at what I've done then goes on to do those things for themselves or to do mm. even more. So not just listening and going, yeah, that sounds great. I believe all that. That's brilliant. Actually goes out and does it for themselves. And you know what? I love that so much. And I love how you just talked through that answer and you just started to really light up as that answer built up for you and taking aligned action. So folks who are who are feeling inspired by your words or your art, they go and they do the thing themselves. Yeah, they do it for themselves. Yes. Definitely. And as you were saying that, Naomi, I just had this vision in my mind of taking my daughters to this park nearby that we haven't been to for years and just playing in the leaves and making rock formations and walking by the creek and experiencing things and just getting all the sensory experiences going exactly. and activated all for the ourselves. sensory things. Yeah. Yes. I love that so much. Yeah. You inspire me. Thank you. And thank you for the beautiful art you're creating in the world and for your gentle kindness and for your intention and for being here today, showing up for all of our listeners, really just being a spark of inspiration in my day. I feel really honored for you being here. So thank you for your time and energy. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. It's been such a lovely chat. Of course. All right. So Naomi, one more time, where can folks find you? You can find me and my work on skyspirit.co.uk. Amazing. And we will put all of the links in the show notes. Amazing, amazing work that you're doing in the world, Naomi. And thank you for being you. All right, everybody. Until next time. Bye-bye. That's all for today. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to learn more about Consciously Inspired Minds, you can visit us at consciouslyinspiredminds.com. Until we connect again, explore what inspires you. Thank you.